Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 44, and we're reviewing Death Note Part 1. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. This anime has been on our watch list since the show came out. For a long, long time. It came out in 2006, so it only took us a cool 15 years <laughs> to finally watch Death Note. Even after like many, many recommendations, this is one of my, both of my sister's favorite anime, and they used to always talk about it, and I kept saying, I'll watch it soon, I'll watch it soon, and then 15 years later, I'm finally watching it. Yeah, I'm surprised because I think a lot of the classic anime that we've watched so far are things that you've seen before, and it would be my first time watching. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time we're both walking into this, um, the clean sleigh. Like this is the first time we're both watching, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, and I feel like it'll make for a good discussion because I often hear people talk about like really great classic anim- anime saying like i wish i could experience this show for the first time again like i actually saw somebody say that about code geass like i wish i could experience this from the beginning fresh without knowing anything because it's just so cool to to go through that the first time and it's like a different experience when you rewatch something so it's kind of cool that we get to experience death note for the first time knowing the popularity it has and how insane it is apparently according to to everybody yeah can i say this series was popular enough besides the manga and anime that it spawned multiple live action films we all know about the netflix tv series that came out (laughs) you also know that this was a musical what (laughs) there was an adaptation of death note into like a musical form and I think it was written by like an American musical writer, but it was um, like the lyrics were in Japanese. So, oh, th- I guess this is how much that people, you know, love this show to the point where <laughs> you can write a whole Broadway show about it. And not only that, but I think on my anime list, hold up, I think my anime li- my anime list just crashed, guys. I just had the website pulled up, and now it won't pull up. Wah, <laughs> <laughs> no i think the website itself is just down right now yeah it says internal server error well anyway i'm pretty confident when i when i share this little piece of information list (laughs) when i say that um death note is the number one anime on my anime list um in terms of popularity and that's different from the ratings because i think full metal alchemist brotherhood is the number one anime of all time according to ratings but there's a mm-hmm. separate chart for popularity just in terms of number of users or people that have death note on their lists and that's the number one and it's been up there for a really long time so even if it's not the number one rated anime it's so popular that it's the number one popular anime yeah and again it will be nice to finally start this show and understand the hype because the only attachment that I remember having from Death Note, and Death Note, and this is back from our college days, I think your sister had the Death Note journal. And I don't mean like the the actual journal. It's like you know you buy it at a at an anime convention, and it, it looks like how the the book appears in the show. And I remember you had described the premise, although you hadn't watched the show, because um, you said like you, both your sisters had, but you hadn't. So yeah. Yeah, it's finally going to be nice to understand the context of it, like writing down people's deaths in this journal. 
I know she just used it as a regular journal, but <laughs> she just understand. had it as like decoration. Like she just wanted to put the death note out on our coffee table. Wow. <laughs> Cause you know, why not? <laughs> yeah. It, it ties the room together. <laughs> All right. So my anime list is back up guys. And yes, I was correct. It's number one in popularity. It has almost 3 million members um, tied to it. I guess it's on the list of almost 3 million members. Um, it has an overall score of 8.63. So that is a good score. And so far, it's a good show. But before we get into it, really quick, we want to touch base on summer 2021 anime because we have already started this season. We're kind of in the throes of it at this point. And yeah, I would say it's um, a little underwhelming. It's decent. It's decent. It's decent. I would say it's shaping up to be probably the weakest season we're going to get this year. Um, that's not to say that it's a bad season and we're not enjoying the the shows that we're watching right now. It's just not hitting as hard initially as um, as winter and spring. But we'll see. We'll see how it shapes up. And we're excited to talk about it. That'll probably be an episode that's released at the end of the month for our summer 2021 anime first impressions. So keep an eye out for that. You'll hear all about our thoughts on what we're watching so far. I mean, summer, it had a lot of expectations. I mean, again, we had a very strong winter season with Attack on Titan and even a stronger spring season, um, or as strong spring season with My Hero and Tokyo Avengers. So um, it's up Into against... Your Eternity. In, Can't yeah, forget that your, one. Yeah, oh To Your God. Eternity. And I know we're, we're still currently working through those Snow White notes, which I, I'm starting to love a lot. Um, so yeah, it's up against these heavy hitters. So, you know, it's not always going to be an uphill climb, I guess, in terms of how hype the next season's going to be. So... True. And like, to be fair, when you compare the four seasons each year, there's always going to be a quote unquote weakest season, right? Like one mm. of them is going to rank at the bottom. But again, that doesn't necessarily mean that the anime that appeared that season is bad. It's just there's not as strong of a lineup. So that's what I'm feeling for summer 2021. But again, who knows? It could pleasantly surprise me. Yeah. Or it could prove me right. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> so back to Death Note. Um, as always, let's share our first impressions on this part one. And to, to be clear, um, part one for Death Note is going to look a little bit different than what you usually get from, from parts one and two with most of our anime reviews. Um, typically we review anime that has, you know, the typical 24, 25, 26 episodes, and we can split it down the middle and talk part one and part two. Death Note's different because it has 37 episodes. And there's like one or there's like two or three parts to it technically, but those parts happen at very odd like moments in the show. Yeah. So according to Wikipedia, which is, you know, the greatest source for anime out there, <laughs> um, they've split up the episode counts by two parts. So part one encompasses, I think, the first the first 26 episodes, which is typically your full season of anime but then part two uh encompasses the last 10 ep or 11 episodes which brings the count to 37 so i think what we're doing is we're gonna split up part one into the first 13 episodes and then have a part one part two which goes into <laughs> episodes 14 to 26 and then we'll have 
part two, part three, <laughs> which will encompass the last 11 episodes of the series. So essentially, you're getting three parts in our Death Note review series just because of the way this all kind of plays out. And we didn't think it would be right to try and cram a full 26 episodes of Death Note into one podcast review episode because there's a lot to talk about with the show. And... I think that we need to give like proper time to talk through everything. So we'll have episodes one through 13 on this part one review. And then part two will be episodes 14 to 26. Mm -hmm. And then part three will be 27 to 37. Yep. So thinking about part one, again, episodes one through 13. And for those who haven't watched the show in a while, episode 13 leaves off where Light meets Misa for the first time. So thinking about those episodes, what are your thoughts so far on Death Note? I think going into this show initially, I remembered something that Aaron from Under the Bun, who was on our Code Geass podcast. Hey, Aaron. He mentioned like there were similarities between the main character, Light, and the light of Death Note and uh, Lelouch of Code Geass. And that kind of was sticking with me throughout watching this first half. And I got to agree with Aaron. It's it's just very strange how similar this show is to the premise of Code Geass without giving out too many spoilers for those who haven't watched the series or who haven't listened to our podcast episode. And, you know, just the the question of like what would you do if you had the power to kill anybody it's it's such a like thought provoking thing and you know it brings up morals and whether or what what's right or wrong and that's kind of what you see um in light's actions as he's he's committing these crimes in the name of you know saving the world but you know i guess looking at the higher moral level is that correct and you have the character of L or I, Ryuzaki, which I don't know if that's his real name or if that's just another alias. Well, I think um, everyone I think everyone refers to him as L. Okay, because I know yeah, once he introduces himself to Light, he uses the name Ryuzaki, and then he had like another alias that was like a pop idol name. Um, but you have L who kind of keeps him in check um, with his own ideals, and you know he's supposed to be like the world's greatest detective or whatever. And you just have this very intriguing battle of the minds that starts to unfold in this first half and it kind of reminds me of the movie catch me if you can with i think it was tom hanks and leonardo dicaprio yeah um but all that aside you know it's i'm always reminded that i'm watching an anime because how believable is it for a college age hikikomori to supposedly be the world's greatest detective. But is right? he a Hikikomori? He, 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 I can't say that word fast. Hikikomori? I mean, he looks like your typical. I know he's he's stepped out of the, the bounds of like his bedroom. But well, you're uh, talking about L or Light? L. Oh, are they talking about Light? No, I'm no, like, there's light. literally no oh, That's another thing. Like, yeah, how can you expect this high school student to be like this mass murderer too? Um, but, you know, you got to you gotta suspend your disbelief in that regard. And, you know, it's other than that, like, it, it's been a terrific first half to watch. Uh, what are your sentiments of? So I get why everyone hypes about Death Note and why it's remained such a, a classic anime for so long. I, it's great. Like, it's just incredibly intriguing in a different way than Kogias. And Kogias is still fresh for us, guys, because we had our review series um, fairly recently. Let me and say, this is nice and slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's well, not that, like super slow, but a lot, 
less hype or fast paced on that show that's exactly it like it strikes that perfect balance like if if you took code geass and just like turned it down a couple notches in terms of like speed and like how much it amplifies everything you got death note and and i say that in a good way because there's no dull moment but you're not overwhelmed when you're watching it either Mm -hmm. there's a lot of information that you get in this show i mean even just in episode one but you never feel overwhelmed. It's a little hard at times to follow what's going on because um, sometimes light, you know, has like his major big brain time, and you're like, "Hang on a second, let me just think about that." <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think overall, it's it's just really well written. It's really well paced. It's super interesting, and it's somewhat nostalgic for me. Again, not having watched it before, I can't say the show itself is nostalgic, but everything around it—the fandom, the memes, etc.—that's super nostalgic because. When I was, you know, an up and coming weeb, that's when Death Note was was premiering. And one of my strongest memories about that Death Note is when I would go to anime conventions and every fucking weeb cosplayed as L. <laughs> Always. Like and since he doesn't wear shoes, they'd all not wear shoes and would crouch everywhere. They like perch up on things and sit like him without their shoes on, walking around the convention without shoes on. Yeah. And I'd be like, What like what is happening? Why is this happening right now? Yeah, thanks for contributing to the the stereotype of, you know, <laughs> congoers not being hygienic yeah seriously like it's one thing to not wear deodorant it's another thing to walk around barefoot at a convention (laughs) so for me it's like i i kind of have like part of me is sad because i missed out on like the initial hype the initial um old school fandom of death note as it was happening live kind of what we're going through with attack on titan right now like we'll look back on this in you know 10 15 years and be like i was part of that you tell our grandchildren <laughs> yeah we'll tell our grandchildren <laughs> about it tell you a story about this <laughs> wee bass show so I, I do feel kind of sad that i wasn't part of that because for some reason i just didn't watch it when it was actually happening um but at the same time it's kind of nice to watch it for the first time as more of an adult and appreciate the finer details of death note rather than just like looking at the hype around it and the great story I feel like I can also appreciate the careful and thoughtful writing behind each character and each action and the way the story unfolds. Um, and yeah, all the L cosplayers. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, fun fact, now that you've mentioned uh, Attack on Titan, the director for the Death Note anime, Tetsuro Araki, was actually the director for um, Attack on Titan as well. Oh my God. Well, there you go. So, that's why these shows are so hype. Yeah. All that aside, it's time for everyone to take their potato chips and eat it too as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for Death Note Part 1. Death Note is a 2006-2007 anime series based on the manga series of the same name written by Sugumi Oba and illustrated by Takeshi Obata. Directed by Tetsuro Araki and produced by Madhouse, Death Note revolves around high school student Light Yagami, who decides to rid the world of evil with the help of a supernatural notebook called a Death Note. This book causes the death of anyone whose name is written in it, and is passed on to Light by the Shinigami Ryuk as he becomes bored with the Shinigami world. And quick side note, Madhouse is the animation studio known for Perfect Blue, which is on my movie watch list currently. They also animated Trigun, Season 1 of One Punch Man, the 2011 adaptation of Hunter x Hunter, um, and you might be familiar with these shows, Courtney, Cardcaptor, Sakura, and Chobits. Oh my god, I love those shows. Chobits, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, you just made my day. Yeah, they've got quite an impressive resume. 
starting with episode 1, Rebirth. Light Yagami is your typical Shonen Jump high school protagonist whose world gets turned upside down when he finds a notebook that... can kill anybody that he knows by face and name? He initially dismisses the Death Note as a hoax, but becomes a true believer after testing its morbid powers. The notebook's original demonic owner, Ryuk, appears to Light exclusively, explaining that he is now its rightful owner, and that the Shinigami will write Light's name in his personal death note once his time on the earthly plane is at its end. Light declares his intent to become the god of the new world by ridding the world of crime and punishment, punishment and crime in the hall. Let's start with OP and ED. Um, My favorite topic. <laughs> so I would say both of these are... Um, they're fine. They fit the show and that's about it. Um, and the, the visuals too, like to me, like I'm lukewarm on both of them. They, they make sense for the show. I think they're, they're perfect, but they're just nothing that like strikes me except for the way the lead singer <laughs> sings the fucking OP. <laughs> yeah, so let's get this out. So the OP and ED are by the same band nightmare. The OP, the title is called the world and the song for e- the ED is Illumina. But yes, obviously the the world takes a lot more interest for us than uh, Illumina because of the. <laughs> <laughs> One of our friends was like, "Tell me you watch Death Note without telling me you watch Death Note." Looking at you, Kevin, <laughs> and then we were all like, "I'm not gonna do the noise, but you can do the noise." <laughs> <laughs> Which you you said it sounds like like, like there's old viral video of like a newscaster who's like stepping what was it? like they're making yeah grapes the, or the something. grape stomping lady for those of you who know like early internet history it was one of the the early viral videos and it was some newscaster lady stomping grapes in a vineyard and she trips and she falls off the stage and like lands chest first and then you can't see her on camera but then in the background all you hear is like oh 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 because oh, oh, you can't breathe and then i'm like that's what the death note op singer sounds like yeah, I want to see if someone can splice those together <laughs> if it's not already done. But yeah, once you hear it, then you can't unhear it. I think like the, the OP, that song grows on me. It grows on me and I just like to listen to it for like the meme factor, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think one of our friends, um, Jason, he he gave me a taste of like the second OP. And I'm not going to spoil anything, but it kind of makes you wish that they kept the original one because again it, it's as stupid as it is it, it's just a banger um i guess visuals wise for the op it, it was interesting that it had a lot of i don't know if you caught this but like religious overtones um a lot of the images seem to be inspired from like renaissance paintings of like religious figures there were two that kind of struck my eye there was one where it looks like that you know that adam and i think god painting where they're like touching fingers yeah it's light isn't it yeah i think light um is superimposed as adam in that case which that was kind of cool and then there was like a brief flash of a character i can't tell what the which characters it is but they're posed in the image of the pieta um which is the statue i think michelangelo sculpted it of um mary holding uh, jesus in her arms so I know there's like a lot of other like under like overtones or undertones or whatever you call it in this show, but the other one is like this thing about the apple, <laughs> which <laughs> I know. Apple. Yeah, like he has like a drug addiction to apples that we we see later in the show, um, but it's just very interesting that they they've chosen the apple because you know in 
like Christian dogma, like the apple represents like the the first sin that was committed by man, which was like Adam and Eve getting the like all the knowledge in the world. And that's kind of similar to what Light's going through. It's not that he's got all the knowledge in the world, but again, he has the power of God now. So it's interesting parallels there. I really also like in the OP that the colors are pretty muted except for the like several pops of red and then when l's on the screen you've got like pops of blue i think because Mm. even in the show especially when there's inner monologues and everything kind of goes to like grayscale is that what you call it you Mm -hmm. still have like lights eyes in red and l's eyes in blue and I'll, i'll touch on this um when we get to that episode where l and light meet each other for the first time but that's something i noticed too is like you've got those colors playing out throughout the the op and i think the ed as well i think i i was just watching the ed um before this and i noticed that i think there are shots of uh, of light um like holding his pencil but his eyes are like red in that moment and there's a brief flash of him where it looks like he's going crazy but then it goes back to the shot of him with red eyes so interesting thing about the op i don't really delve into the lyrics because you know it's japanese and i don't really delve into like the translations but I, I just happened to do it this time around and again the song is called the world and i think the last lyric of the song is someday i'll show you a world that shines in the light like huh. wow is this supposed to be a pun or something <laughs> um and then the ed again mid-tempo emo rock the lyrics are also just angsty and i think they are meant to replicate light's inner thoughts about you know his altruistic desire for the world and again visuals it it's very silhouetted and inked, almost like you're seeing noir versions of, of Light or Uke. So I do want to say my first thought when I watched episode one is that you're telling me the entire premise of Death Note, one of the most renowned and popular anime of all time, stems from two guys being bored. <laughs> That's literally <laughs> what they tell you in the first episode. Ryuk is bored. Light is bored. Let's go kill a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean... The world is is monotonous, even in real <laughs> life. I don't blame them for wanting to add a little spice to it. It just goes to show that the greatest things can come from like the smallest starts. And that's what happened here with Death Note. But this first episode is a lot to absorb. But as I alluded to earlier, it it's not overwhelming. Like It wastes no time, and I appreciate that. They do set up the entire premise and give you all the baseline info in this very first episode with no filler and no fluff, but in a way that's not like, holy shit, what did you just tell me? Like I can't even process all of this brand new information and world building. I think they, they struck that nice balance of giving you just enough information so that you know right from the start what the fuck is up. I feel like, and I've kind of noted this as I was watching the pilot, I feel like you see that in the pilot of a lot of anime series where it's almost like it, it's trying to sell to the audience that you need to watch the show. Um, I think, however, like Death Note, the pilot for Death Note just does it really well to, with all the points that you mentioned, especially comparing this to Code Geass where like it just throws you into it and you don't realize what the fuck you've, <laughs> what the fuck you've been watching. <laughs> but here, like you said, you get a clear outline of like what the Death Note is. We see Light experimenting with it. Um, kind of being traumatized by like its actual powers, but then coming to this realization that with great power comes great irresponsibility. And so he decides again to become the so-called God of the new world. Um, And kind of going back to the point of, you know, this was all born out of monotony. It's very similar to 
um, the movie Falling Down, which I know our friends had a recent discussion on where you're just trying to break up the monotony of the world. But in this case, it's Light thinking that he has this this mission to actually rid the world of like criminal and evil or crime and evil. Um, like a, a, just a very interesting concept and kind of makes you think like what you would do in his shoes. Yeah, and at the end of the episode when he gives his speech about like why he wants to do this is conflicting. Like his intentions are righteous, you know, ridding the world of evil, but Ryuk brings up a good point that he'll be the only evil person left. To which mm. Light responds that he's a good person because he's an honor student, but he says it in like a snide way, like there's no way I could ever be evil. I'm such a good kid. And like he wants to become God and he knows he can do it through his intelligence and this facade that he's built that makes him appear like a good kid. And it's just it's setting something up that's like going to be really, really interesting because you, you always want to root for the the protagonist, even if they're more of like an anti-hero. But in this case, like straight from episode one, I'm like, can I root for light? Mm -hmm. Is he really the anti-hero or is he actually the antagonist? Like he more so than um, other protagonists that are very much anti-heroes light more so is like borderline antagonist i've never seen a character at least from what i can recall be so anti-hero that they're almost antagonist and so i i like i'm very conflicted about how i feel about him even after watching the first 13 episodes i still don't know where i land with light like am i team light or am i team l <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i prefer light because just wants to live a quiet life and he wears shoes you know <laughs> yeah, that's he's, a plus he's a lot more i guess dignified i think it's because he doesn't just stop at wanting to rid the world of evil he also insinuates he wants to rule the world and be the one and only judgment in the world um and that's mm. where like that's where he's starting to cross the line and that's where things you know become more gray a little more blurred out but i like that i like being conflicted in this way as i'm watching the show unfold it's like I don't know how I feel and, and I, I'm enjoying that because sometimes they lay it out for you so black and white that you're like, okay, obviously I have to root for this person. I don't have a choice. But here it's like, do you want to root for light? Do you think he's a good person? Do you think he's righteous the way he says he is? Or is it all just part of his facade? And you can even hear that in like the musical cues, especially in the the most, I guess the the penultimate or like the climactic scene of this pilot, which is that montage of the criminals dropping dead as like right or light furiously writes, you know, his essay on what not to do at a stoplight. Um, <laughs> because like, it's not like triumphant music at all, right? It's just this very ominous tone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that again, to your point, it just makes you kind of conflicted on like, is like doing the right thing. And, if you noted, I made a SpongeBob reference there. I wanted to quickly bring up that <laughs> there was a SpongeBob meme um, on YouTube, which I think it was uploaded like a long time ago. The the timestamp says, oh, 13 years ago. If you just search up SpongeBob uh, hyphen Death Note on YouTube, you'll find it. It's it's a clip that takes the audio from that scene but like superimposes it with like SpongeBob um, visuals. And it works really well, especially <laughs> yes. because I'm sure everyone else has seen that that meme um, where it compares SpongeBob's outfit to Light's outfit and SpongeBob and Light Yagami have the same fucking outfit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And whoever put it together, like they, they nailed the lip flaps down as well. Yeah, it was, it was very well done. <laughs> but yeah, the only other point I wanted to make with this first episode 
Um, you alluded to this earlier in terms of like the visuals. I noted that it's very muted colors and visuals that you, you see throughout the show, but I don't consider it a distraction or a hindrance at all. I always say that, you know, the animation should always be in service to the story in order for it to be effective and acceptable. And I think that's the case here. Like it's supposed to emulate, you know, the bleakness and melancholy of this world and of uh, Light's mission. Agreed, 100%. I think the color scheme makes perfect sense. Um, and my thought, like, like my biggest takeaway from this first episode is that I can tell right off the bat that this show is going to be very well written. Um, one of the best examples is the Death Note itself. Like, the way the rules are written, it, it's like every possibility has been carefully thought out. Because um, I know it shows, like, you get the initial Death Note rules when Light gets the, the notebook. But then I think the, what do you call them? Like, the cards, the, the commercial cards. There's, like, a word for it. The, the breaks or whatever. Yeah, there's a word for it. I can't think of it. Maybe I'll think of it later. But whatever they call those cards that happen before and after the commercial break, um, they also show you additional rules that haven't been explicitly stated, you know, by one of the characters about how the Death Note works. And I just think it's like everything's so smart. Like they thought of every possibility and even like lights, careful calculations and considerations when killing people. So as not to draw attention to himself is another example that this show seems very, very well written, very carefully written, similar to Code Geass or Attack on Titan. And that's like the, the writing is one of the biggest reasons that those shows are so successful. And I think it's the same here with Death Note. In episode two, Confrontation. The hives of scum and villainy begin dropping like flies at the hands of Light, publicly dubbed Kira, leading Interpol to try and figure out how to stop these deaths by heart attack besides promoting a balanced diet. They call in the world's greatest detective, L, not Batman Bakayaro, whose identity remains shrouded and who deduces that they are dealing with a mass-murdering psychopath. Meanwhile, Light uses his big brain time to create an elaborate setup to protect his Death Note, but is tricked into revealing his general location in Japan's Kanto region by L via television broadcast. As Ryuk cackles with glee from the sidelines, both Kira Queen and L declare that they each are justice manifested and swear to take each other down like a clown Charlie Brown. My favorite scene from episode 2 is when Light tells Ryuk that he needs to work hard. Um, to rid the world of evil and that his available time is limited when he has to maintain his good grades and his health. And it makes me kind of wonder, like, what is the timeline for this show? How long does this story take place? Over a few weeks? Over a few months? Etc. Like, I I don't know. Like, I, I'm wondering how long this whole battle between Light and L can be dragged out in the timeline of death note does that make sense like i'm wondering yeah. like is this gonna be like a whole year thing or does it actually take place over like a couple weeks yeah i don't know if they ever explicitly mention how much time has passed um because i don't know how much attention is needed by interpol to realize that they've got a, some weird circumstances happening in japan for them to to finally interfere um but i'd like to think like it's happening it's been happening for quite some time, a couple weeks or so. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll find out more as the show goes on. Um, the other thing, too, that I found was interesting, I think in that same conversation, is, you know, 
so we learn a little bit more about Elle in episode two, and Elle's as clever and as smart as Light is, and Ryuk points out the two of them have to hunt each other down without knowing the other's face or name. And at this point, I was like, oh, this is going to be really cool. Like, you know, it's going to be a, a mad showdown or whatever. But as we find out in like a couple episodes, they immediately meet each other, see yeah. each other's faces, and then Elle's like, oh, I'm Elle. <laughs> so I was kind of like, I felt like I was set up in episode two to think like this is going to be some mad chase. And then plot twist, it wasn't. But it, it, there's still like some sense of a showdown between them. Oh, for sure, yeah, because yeah. Light doesn't know Elle's real name, and Elle isn't 100% certain that Light is Kira. Mm-hmm, which, it seems kind of obvious. Like, <laughs> you're the world's greatest detective, and Light's, Light's dropping all of these cues. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that they also both declare that they are they are justice, but it's it'll, it'll, it'll remain to see whose pursuit of justice is quote-unquote right. Um, in the very end the one thing i noted with this episode is you know the citizens of japan they begin gossiping about the deaths but they label um like because they don't obviously they don't know his identity they, they label light as kira the savior um and here's my dark knight reference uh, for the episode and i think there are a couple that i'm gonna make but it's you know very similar response to how you know everyone praises batman for cleaning up their city of like all the the vermin and criminal activity but at the very base of it it they you have to remember that light is is still killing people so is it kind of right for the crowd to feel so righteous about these things happening when you know the truth of the matter is and there's still morbid deaths happening everywhere the other thing i wanted to point out and this is kind of stupid is um Elle's assistant or whatever Watari like so Interpol's in this meeting right I don't know what building it is but he just enters the room and tells them that Elle's already on the case like what kind of security <laughs> does Interpol have at their facility just to let this random silhouetted man in like what that could have been Kira and they just let him <laughs> waltz in I don't know yeah they needed that drama factor I guess yeah in episode three the deal L. Locke Holmes gives his hot take on Kira Queen, deducing that he is a student with a naive sense of justice and has access to police data, which is coincidentally true since the police chief in charge of the Kira Queen case is Light's own father. In other news, Ryuk tells Light that he is being followed and gives him the option to use the Shinigami Eyes power-up to see people's names and lifespans above their heads in exchange for half of Light's remaining HP. That reveal about... Um, the chief being Light's father was ruined for me. Because, oh, yeah. Yeah, the Netflix, we watched this through Netflix, and the subtitles completely spoiled it, which was kind of a shame. But at the same time, it was a little bit expected because you needed, needed to stir up some drama somehow. Yeah, because the way it happens on Netflix, I guess, at least with Death Note subtitles, is when a character is talking off screen, they put their name in brackets before what they're actually saying, so that mm-hmm. way you know who's speaking. And I'm like, okay, well, his name is Yagami, so... <laughs> yeah, at least put Chief first. Yeah. <laughs> and then once it's revealed... Like, there um, are some subtitle, subtitlers, subtitle teams out there who will take the time to separate subtitles 
on the screen so that they're not over the plot. And by plot, I mean the tits. Like, I've seen that <laughs> shit, right? Like, they'll actually separate the sentence on, a, on the left-hand side and the right-hand side so that it's not obscuring the tits that are on screen. Yet, they didn't think <laughs> to not put Yagami right before the big reveal that he is a Yagami. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's helpful because it also just helps clear up names and remembering who everyone is. But yeah, in this case, you're just spoiling it. It ruins <laughs> the fun. I thought it was a bit too convenient that L immediately suspected Kira is a student just based off of the hours and the days that the victims died. Like technically office workers have the same hours of nine to five, right? Because a kid, like a kid's in school about the same amount of We're time. We're talking about Japan where the, okay, workers, the employees work <laughs> nine to 8 a.m. the next day. <laughs> they work 9 a.m. to 9 a.m. the next day, 24 hours straight. Like, yes, you, you are correct. I didn't think about that. <laughs> But yeah, I would say like seeing L work his or do his work here, it's he's very big brained in like reading situations from a very high bird's eye view. Because um, to your point, he was able to conclude that Kira was a student based on the killing patterns, as out, as far fetched as it seems, um, and then anticipating his reaction uh, after I think he announces that he knows. Or like after Kira realizes what um, Elle's deducing about him by completely working against his MO. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like Elle's able to realize that. So it's like he knows that he has access to police info. So it's like he's thinking very outside of the box compared to you know your regular police detectives. And I think that's part of the reason Elle's like a, a more intuitive as a, as a detective because he's not willing to rule out any situation or any what am i thinking of the word here possibility any possibility just based off of how silly it may seem like i think all the police like the police chief and like everyone's like really a student and he's like yeah why not like mm -hmm. that's a that's a possibility like it's, it's, it's the person you most medium suspect. Yeah, the person you most medium <laughs> suspect um and in this case it's a student and he's technically right mm-hmm I also really liked in this episode that Ryu clarifies that he's an independent party in all of this. And I love that. I think that is such a smart writing choice because oftentimes you see the protagonist have their sidekick or whatever, and that sidekick lends something to them. Here, Ryu, Ryu lends almost nothing to light, at least intentionally. He may unintentionally say something that like gives light a major hint about how something works, but mm -hmm. oftentimes he's holding information back. Even when light's like, do you have something to tell me? And he'll kind of hesitate to say, or he'll say it when it's most convenient for him. So it's like light can't even really rely on his quote unquote sidekick through all of this. And he doesn't either. I mean, he, he acts on his own and Ryuk's just kind of there observing, but it's just interesting to see that dynamic, to see that relationship, because again, oftentimes you wait for the sidekick to, I don't know, have some like crazy revelation and tell the protagonist and then suddenly everything's okay. Or in battle scenes, right? Like the protagonist is at a disadvantage and then the sidekick comes in and does something that saves them or, or you know, helps them out in some way. But here it's like, fuck you. Like <laughs> I'm doing what I want. I'm just here for the fun of it because I'm bored. <laughs> yeah here's my other dark knight reference Rick just wants to watch the world burn <laughs> <laughs> basically he didn't give a he, shit <laughs> yeah he does help light i think on one occasion in this episode is that he warns uh light that he's being followed um but i think they're in later episodes to your point i do like that he's just spectating from the sidelines but he uh, in it like indirectly gives the audience hints that something's not up especially if you remember 
we'll talk about this later, but when Light meets uh, the fiance of the FBI agent, he starts cackling yeah, during the conversation. Yeah. yeah, that hints at something. Or it's like, so to your point with Ryuk, warning Light about someone following him, is that Ryuk actually caring for Light or is it Ryuk not wanting the fun to be over yet? Because uh, if, yeah. if Light gets busted in that moment, then his fun is over, right? Mm -hmm. He's probably going to be sentenced to death or some shit and then Ryuk has to go back to the Shinigami world. So then part just of find another person. I know, right? <laughs> well, it'll be hard to find another person like, oh, like, like Light, Light Yagami. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that while he doesn't explicitly say why, I think... He wanted to warn Light. That's my assumption is that Ryuk just doesn't want the fun to be over. And I think that's also why he likes to drop these little hints, right? Like he doesn't have to give Light the information he's giving him, but sometimes he chooses to. And I think it's just to make the situation more interesting, more entertaining. And specifically in this episode, it's when he shares that info about being able to see the names and lifespans of people when he takes on the Shinigami eyes. And I loved that Light was like, no. Well, he says it, I think he says it in the next episode, but yeah, he's like, it's nah, the cliffhanger here. Yeah. So I, I thought that was cool too that that Light responded by saying no thanks. But that would just make you more of a god, wouldn't it? True. But also, again, that him like Ryuk does these things because there's some benefit to him, whether it's extending the lifetime of his entertainment mm. here on Earth, or in this case, extending his lifetime in general, because. I think the trade-off is if you get Shinigami eyes, you give the Shinigami half of your lifespan. Yeah. So, like, the only reason he told him that was because he wants to live longer. But that just means you'll be aboard longer. That's true. <laughs> once the light true. dies. <laughs> so, I don't know what you're trying to get at, Ryuk. In episode four, Pursuit, Light decides to tell Ryuk no deal on the Shinigami eyes since he intends to be God and God never dies. Instead, Light comes up with an anime scheme to find out how much control he has over the circumstances of a criminal's death, alongside devising a plan to find out who his stalker is. The pair end up on a bus hijacked by a drug dealer, and his stalker inadvertently reveals his identity as FBI agent and L. Lock Holmes's hired muscle, Ray Penber, in an attempt to take down the hijacker, who seemingly suffers an accidental death, though it was all a scheme by R. Kira Queen. So yes, as I just shared, Light doesn't take the deal because he's serious about making the world a better place and sticking around as long as possible to keep it that way. And I thought that was great. I thought that was such a cool decision. Just like in the previous episode when Ryuk was like, I'm an independent party. I don't give a shit. I thought it was cool that Light, you know, had this incredible advantage presented to him. And he's so smart. He's like, no, <laughs> that's not going to work for me. Yeah. And this episode overall was... Um, really just a display of Light's experiments, seeing the limitations of the Death Note, even um, the whole thing with him experimenting about whether touching a torn page would allow a person to see the Shinigami. And I just, I love it. Like, this is this is like the, the great writing that just gets me so hype about a show and makes me realize this is why people are so hype about Death Note. Because I, th I just thought every scenario that Light put together and his reasons behind wanting to try these different things and the actual outcomes from those like i think i don't know i'm gonna probably gonna like fuck this up but i think one of them was like he set up a death to be like something crazy that would never really happen in real life and then he realizes it didn't come to fruition because he's pushing the limitations of like real life actions yeah it was like a he ordered a criminal to die in paris or something yeah yeah and like clearly that could never happen so I think that's so smart of him to actually push the boundaries and get a full sense of exactly what he can and cannot do with the Death Note, especially when Ryuk is not willing to share any information with him. 
Yeah, and I love like how he intertwines all the rules of the Death Note, like a majority of the rules of the Death Note in in this again this anime scheme of the hijacking, um, where he I think he writes out exactly how the hijacker is kind of like carry out his hijacking and then how he ultimately dies and then again he touches the um, Death Note paper to your point earlier, which causes him to see Ryuk and start shooting and then I think later on or in the next episode. He also has Ray Penber unknowingly write on the Death Note itself. So without know. touching it too, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, it's 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 very big brain of light to come up with these things again within the realm of the rules of the Death Note. And I think part of it too is like Ryuk sometimes surprised at what Light discovers about the Death Note. He's like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. <laughs> so that that tells you that like Light's level of intelligence is far beyond everyone. <laughs> just yeah. far beyond everybody maybe except for L's. <laughs> I think your real comments that he thinks Light would be a worthy Shinigami so part of it is like yeah Light's intelligent but Light also has the mind of a serial killer yeah Light <laughs> so, is crazy okay yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to comment on Ray Pember so we get introduced to him in this episode and this is very nostalgic for me because I remember back again when Death Note was airing in 2006 and all the cosplayers at all the conventions and like not even Death Note related, just everyone at conventions kept saying Ray Penber like it was some sort of inside joke. And now <laughs> I'm in on that joke. I had no fucking clue why people kept, kept saying Ray Pember. Like they would just walk around saying Ray Pemba, Ray Pemba. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? Why? Like, is, is he from Death Note? Like, why is this such an inside joke? And now I know. I feel special now. But that that uh, that joke's long and gone. <laughs> just bring it back. <laughs> bring it back. Yeah, we're bringing back the Ray Pember inside joke, guys, to all the anime conventions. <laughs> In episode five, Tactics... A week after the hijacking incident, Light follows Ray Pemba onto a train and, unbeknownst to the agent, blackmails him into writing down his fellow agents on a piece of the Death Note, and they all die happily ever after. President America withdraws the FBI from the case, and the Japanese police are left shitting their pants wondering whether to continue investigating Kira Queen or not. Good thing they can count on Ray Pemba's fiance, a former FBI agent, out for blood to do the dirty work for them. It's like every episode, I mean, by this point, we were five episodes in and like every episode is just like constantly in big brain mode, constantly. I do feel bad for Ray Penber, but I'm also impressed at how Light was able to get him to unintentionally kill the FBI agents with the Death Note. But I do question, like, does this mean that Ray Penber can't go to heaven or hell? Because he didn't touch the Death Note pages, but he did use them. Mm. And I know it says like, Whoever uses the Death Note will not go to heaven or hell. They'll just be like purgatory or some shit. Another thing is since he is not the owner of the Death Note, like does that still validate the deaths? I mean, like we see it happen here anyways, but I'm just wondering like if if someone else were to write in it, does that just make the, their deaths void? Well, I mean, no, it sh I think it's just anyone who writes in it. It doesn't, it's not necessarily the owner of the Death Note because the owner can change hands. When you when um, Light meets Misa, she gives him her Death Note That's and right. says, "You could yeah. just fucking kill me with my Death Note if I want, if you wanted to." Um, so I, I imagine like if the Death Note holder dies or like passes off the Death Note to someone else, they could still use it. Okay, plot hole avoided. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other comment I have about this episode is that those close-up shots of Elle's bare feet get me triggered every time when I think about those cosplayers who, again, 
walk around the dirty ass anime conventions without shoes. Like they zoom in on his feet yeah, and he's like rubbing like, his toes on his other foot. And I'm like, why do I need to nice see Nice rotoscoped toes. <laughs> and also like I hate feet in general. So I'm just like, no, thank you. I think I think it was a testament to the level of Madhouse's animation. The toes? Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's that's fine. <laughs> in episode six, Unraveling, unaware of the FBI's presence in the country, the Japanese police believe Alok Holmes hired them because he was super sus that Kira Queen was among them or their families and turned their backs on the detective. Chief Yagami's case group whittles down to five officers willing to stay on, and Alok Holmes reveals himself to them as an unkempt hikikomori named Yuzaki, who probably has nothing better to do outside of investigating top-tier crimes. As he and the core team figure out who the FBI agents were tracking during their time in Japan, Light runs into Ray Pemba's fiancé, who has figured out Kira Queen's MO and plans to leak it to the police. Once she reveals her name as Shoko Maki, however, Light plans to leak her to the bowels of hell instead. I think it was at this episode where I kind of came to the realization that Compared to at least um, L, Light looks very nondescript if you think about it. Yeah, I think that's that's intentional too, right? Yeah, because you could like he could literally be a face in the crowd. I think you see it like later on when Misa, uh, he tries to blend in with that group um, to avoid Misa's Shinigami eyes. Um, like there is, I can understand why it's hard for L to kind of suspect that Light would be Kira. Just based on like physical appearances. Yeah, and I'll comment on that. Uh, I think in the episode where Light and L meet each other, because I do have some thoughts on that. Um, so I'll save those. But in general, I I do find it interesting how by like episode six they're positioning Light and L to have so many parallels, um, and I really enjoy it. I think that's another really cool um, character. It's not like really character design. Maybe it is like not like visual design, but. Um, writing wise it's it's a really cool choice because you often have like the two rival characters right and they're pretty mm -hmm. similar in certain ways like there are parallels that exist between them but they're pretty distinct characters here light and l are like one for one on everything like opposites though so if you think about one aspect you just they're they're like complete opposites on them but like also complete parallels it's, it's hard to describe but they are so in tune it's crazy. And I think that's why it makes this whole chase very, very interesting, this whole hunt between the two of them. Because it's like, who can, who's going to make it to the finish, right? They're so on par that it's hard to predict who's actually going to be the one that, that comes out on top. Yeah, that's a good point. Megan. you know, I'm thinking about that. I just pulled up an image of um, Lady Justice. Are you familiar with that statue? yes i think so yeah you see it in a lot of like courthouses or oh whatever. yeah yeah um because yeah it's interesting like you said the light and l are parallel especially in that they both you know in an earlier episode declare that they are justice and at the same time as much as they have similarities there are there is like a distinct difference between both of them and it's harkening back to falling down it's kind of like the protagonist and antagonist of that movie where they have similar life experiences, but they go about what to do with those experiences in different ways. Um, it's kind of like if you, if you pull up a statue of Lady Justice, it's her blindfolded. In one hand, she's holding scales, which is like you know, the balance of justice in the system. And then the other hand, she's holding a sword. So I want to say that, you know, again, Lady Justice kind of represents both Light and L, 
but L is more on that balanced scale side, and then light kind of represents that, like that sword. Yeah, that's a that's a good uh, analogy. In episode seven, Overcast, Light writes Choco's name on the Death Note, but oh, looks like she was smart enough to use an alias. However, he does his darndest to convince her that he's part of the Kira Queen Task Force, and she in turn slips her real name as Naomi Misora, thereby sealing her fate. But Light tells her that he's Kira Queen before her demise just for shits and giggles. Meanwhile, Rizaki's assistant, Watari, reveals his butler identity to the police task force and equips them with special concealed gadgets so that they can communicate with L. Lock Holmes. One of the task force detectives, Aizawa, is sent to police HQ, and just so happens to walk right past Naomi as Light sentences her to death. Sheesh! Close call. This was a great episode. This was an intense episode. Yeah, it's just Light and Naomi walking around talking, but it's incredibly tense and suspenseful. And again, this is what good writing looks like. You can have literally nothing happen on screen, but the audience is like on the edge of your seat, on the edge of their seat the entire time. And honestly, Light is flexing real hard, revealing multiple times that he's Kira. Like the confidence level on this kid, I swear. Yeah, I think this episode quote-unquote action was up to the minute because like you're on the edge of your seat trying to figure out how light is going to like finagle his way out of this one as they're and it seems almost impossible too Mm -hmm. but one thing again it's just this is a walking episode (laughs) like spongebob (laughs) walking cycle episode so there's a point where shoko or naomi whatever she departs ways with light but they like, he's still following her, right? Yeah. And he's still talking to her. Why, at this point, doesn't this raise any suspicions to her that this fucking kid is probably Kira? <laughs> like, that was the only problem I had with this episode. Like, she says bye to him, and then they continue walking together. Yeah, it's... I could see that. That was a, a miss on her part. Now she's mm-hmm. dead, so there you go. Yeah. But, again, hearkening back to an earlier comment we made, Ryuk starts laughing a lot in... I think in the lead up to this episode with the previous episode, and then he starts laughing maniacally here because like we, we find out that Shoko is not her true name um, because she's still alive, but it's because uh, you can see her true identity, like floating above her, kind of like a, like a name tag. So that's another case where I get Ryuk staying out of the, like he's not influencing the game at all, but he's dropping hints to us as an audience that something's amiss. And hints to light. I mean, yeah, it's it's what we mentioned earlier that like he he claims he's neutral, but he knows when to, you know, give him just enough information to help the his entertainment continue on. Because mm-hmm. if Naomi caught light in that moment, then he's fucked, and there goes light, and then Ryuk has to go back to the Shinigami world, right? So Ryuk, I think intentionally, at least I think this is probably how it unfolded. He probably intentionally you know, started to laugh and, and tried to get the gears turning in, in Light's head to realize it's an alias. And I just think it's so funny. Like, Ryuk is funny in general. Um, he's my one of my sister's favorite characters, and now I understand why. <laughs> and I just love that he's having a ball with this whole thing. Like, despite him being neutral, he, he's really just enjoying himself, and he's, he's just eating his apples, living his best life. <laughs> and I love, like, he... Like, because he's trying to... Or, like, he's watching Light figure out how to um, convince this woman to trust him 
to the point where he like convinces her that he's a member of the task force and then Ryuk just starts laughing. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't know how Light is able to keep a straight face while hearing this demon that he can only see and hear. Like just laughing behind him. I know that's yeah. actually really hard to do. So props to Light for not reacting to Ryuk. Mm-hmm. I think Naomi got spoiled spoiled for us in this episode as well, though, right? Because I think the subtitle showed her name before she revealed her yeah. name was Naomi. Or I'm even like, oh, um, okay. I think Netflix has a brief synopsis of the episodes um, when you're scrolling through the list, and it says Naomi. You know, Netflix, you got to get your shit together. We've yeah, complained you about do. you before with <laughs> anime stuff, and this is not boding well for your case. Yeah, this is why no one likes anime on your, your platform. <laughs> Last thing I want to say about this episode is the the final shot of Naomi where she's suddenly overtaken by the Death Note. Like you can see it in her eyes, like when um, uh, Light's Death Note command takes effect, and she's, like her oh shit moment. Yeah, and she starts walking away, and I just uh, it was kind of a dick move for him to just say, you know, why do you keep? Or she asked, why do you keep checking your watch? And he just says, I guess it's because I'm Kira, and then that's the moment. Like she she. <laughs> not quote-unquote loses it but then you have the shot of her walking away but it's her walking like away to this silhouette of like the gallows kind of like signaling like this is this is her final death and it's just a very eerie visual and a very sad end to to her character arc here yeah she that was really sad um i agree compared to like how ray pember went out i like how we always say his full name too ray pember <laughs> ray pember um, I mean, like he even got the the Kira bomb right before he died too, so he had that oh shit moment. But it wasn't nearly as sad as as Naomi because all she wanted to do was get revenge for her dead husband or fiance, yeah. fiance. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and this is again where uh, we question whether or not we should be rooting for Light because he's so far he like he's killed two of these people that haven't really been directly involved in any criminal activity. They He's only killing them by association because they, they're out to, to kill him. So it's very conflicting whether or not, again, we should root for what Light is doing here. Light's like the ultimate example of that, that question, do the ends justify the means? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I don't know. I'll see. Like By 13 episodes, I still don't know where I stand with Light. Um, but as things go on, we'll, we'll f- hopefully I'll figure it out. And the irony is his name's Light. He brings all <laughs> this darkness upon the world. <laughs> In episode eight, Glare, Naomi's disappearance leads Outlock Holmes' task force ever closer to finding out Kira Queen's identity, and he requests that surveillance equipment be installed in all the sus households, including Light's. Through some clever scheming setups, however, Light is able to deduce that he is being watchdogged and has Ryuk locate all the cameras as a precaution. He then deceives his watchdoggers by watching the news on a portable TV hidden inside a bag of chips and continues his Death Note killing spree on a dish best served salty. Okay, the setup in this is just partly outlandish, and this reminds me of the episode of Code Geass with Suzaku. Do you remember that one? He's in, like, every episode. Wait, what? (laughs) The one where he... Like does all of these things and gets to the the target. Oh, the one that I hate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, you'll have to check out our part one, two, part, part one, part what? two review of season one of. Oh Kodias, yeah. Okay. Because okay, yeah, yeah. Aaron was joining us on that one. So, <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, yeah. It is the part two 
review of season one of Code Geass. There's a particular uh, particular episode that I dislike. Probably the only episode I dislike of Code Geass because it's so like just on like non-believable. It's so far-fetched. There's no way any of that shit would ever happen. And I feel you. I think mm-hmm. similarly with this, um, at least for the cameras that are set up in his room, I feel like that's super unbelievable. Yeah, and I get in an earlier episode, he light device this setup so that only he could access the death note in his desk drawer, right? Because anyone else who would try to, it would just make it explode or whatever. Yeah. So he has like these contingency plans in the back of his head. But for him to have had the foresight to realize, oh, if I were ever to be investigated and someone were to come into my room, I would need to know by putting like this little pencil or piece of paper um, in the door handle, which is, it's, I get it. Like he understands that Elle is investigating the police force, but for him to, to take that extra step just seems like too out there. See, I actually think the whole piece of paper and pencil thing makes sense. Just from like a family perspective, I want to know if someone mm. snuck into my room. What I find very hard to believe is that, a bunch of dudes from the task force were able to sneak into the Yagami house while everyone was gone and set up so many fucking cameras. I mean, yeah. so many cameras from every fucking angle of the entire house. How do, how do you get those wires set up? How do you find mm-hmm. places to hide them? He's got, like, I think Light said he had, like, double digits, like, cameras in his room. It and was he, 64. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. that's way more than I even thought. cameras. Then how does he not notice a single fucking one, right? Like, there's just... That is so unbelievable to me. And I get it. Like, suspend your disbelief for the point of the story. I thought what came out of all the camera shit was really entertaining and very cool to watch. But just the camera part itself, I was like, okay, my immersion is a bit broken. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, we get one of the best scenes of the series so far with the chip bag. <laughs> yes, the legendary <laughs> chip scene. And... I knew about this scene. I had never seen it, but I knew about some sort of chip scene because one of my sisters says that the chip scene is her favorite scene from the show. And my other sister says that the cake scene is her favorite scene. And I don't think we've come across that yet. So we'll see what that is all about. But I finally understand the chip scene. And my God, I have never seen such an amazing like chip eating sequence in my entire yeah, life it was like the most dramatic thing like doesn't he like whip out the chip from the bag yeah. or something and then like crunches it and then you have the ominous music playing over it too. yeah it's honestly like this show is relatively mellow and like slowly suspenseful but then there's these random over dramatic scenes where the theme song or like one of the the songs from the soundtrack is playing in the background and Light is doing something as mundane as eating a fucking potato chip in the most epic way I've ever seen animated in my entire life. And it's just, it's great. Like, I, I like this these moments. This is how moments. you make memes. I know, right? I like these moments because it's a show that's incredibly serious, but reminds us that it's not taking itself too serious. And another example of that is Ryuk himself. Like, he's so funny in this episode. This is the Apple one, right? Where he's got like a withdrawal. He's like, well, yeah, withdrawals and stuff. He's fantastic. Like I, I get, again, why my sister um, says that Ryuk is her favorite character. I I just, yeah, he was great. He was so funny. And then his dynamic with Light is great because he's acting out, you know, being a clown behind him and Light is just straight faced the whole time. Because <laughs> he has to be with all the cameras. Like well, not even that, when they're walking him. down the street or just any interaction yeah, where like yeah. light can just be 
open with Ryuk. He's always just such a straight-laced dude, and Ryuk's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I think in the next episode, like his withdrawal symptoms have become so bad that he starts contorting and walking real weird. Yeah. He his apples. <laughs> wow, man. I do want to ask, though, and I think this is another part of this episode that really kind of broke my immersion. Besides the, the camera pieces, how the fuck did he get the LCD TV and a Death Note piece in the chip bag, but it was like technically sealed, wasn't it? Yeah. Again, the setup just seems so out, like outlandish. Like he would have had to set this up a day or two in advance before even knowing that the cameras were being installed. And hope that no one ate that chip bag. Yeah. Like no one from his family was like, I'm going to eat these chips today. I'll take this chip bag and I'll eat it. <laughs> Um, and one thing for that, and I don't know if this will ever be addressed, is Light just casually tosses the chip bag in the trash, and then he sees it being dispensed in, I think, like the garbage truck or whatever later on. Um, there's a piece of the Death Note still in there, isn't it? Yeah, and the LCD TV where Ryuk's like, didn't you pay a couple hundred bucks for that TV? And he's like, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, my God, what a little brat. <laughs> I'm just wondering if that's going to come back to bite him in the rear end later. Probably. <laughs> so some random like garbage worker finds this trip bag <laughs> and this Death Note and writes something. Because I think it... The, the camera kind of lingered on it for a bit. Yeah, there was some, uh, there was a moment there for sure. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's some sort of like subtle foreshadowing, I think, with that. Yeah, but we'll wait and see if that ever comes to fruition in part one, part two, or part two. <laughs> in episode nine, Encounter, L. Lock Holmes's suspicions about light subside, but he is still about 5% sus. He decides to stock Light at the latter's college entrance exams and joins him as first-year representative at the college welcome ceremony under the pseudonym Hideki Ryuga, the same name as some J-pop idol. He reveals his identity as L. Lock Holmes to Light, who is shook by the news but decides to befriend L for now and send him to the Shadow Realm later. Yeesh, what a plot twist. Like, Elle reveals himself to light, and we're not even 10 episodes into the show yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. Again, like, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think that's that's great. And it's it's kind of like you assume that that reveal will be a major climactic moment at the end of the show. And they're like, no, we're going to give it to you nine episodes in. And then you think, where can they go from here? And we'll ha we have plenty of episodes to find out, but they must have so much up their sleeve for the show to be confident enough to make that reveal nine episodes in. <laughs> for some reason, I'm thinking of an alternate timeline where Light just uh, writes writes um L's name, uh, L dies, and then you get like the always sunny cue <laughs> that comes in. Um, but yeah, I like it's it's smart of L to do it because Light can't just kill him there because that would basically be kind of like a double jeopardy for him um because killing l means he automatically gets caught yeah it's um it's just as again it's another parallel between the two of them because light has revealed multiple times now that he's kira and i was like fuck it i'm gonna tell you that i'm l mm -hmm. <laughs> and i love that moment too like how they like whips his head to the side and they zoom in on his eyes and he says i'm l <laughs> it was so <laughs> dramatic <laughs> oh my god it was creepy but i do like the commentary from the other students um, during like the school 
opening ceremony um, about how Elle and Light are super in, both super intelligent but look like total opposites. It really reinforces that Elle and Light are the same on the inside but different on the outside. And I'll, I'll talk about this a little bit more in, when we talk about episode 10 because I think there's something in that episode that plays into that much more. But I do love that commentary. I think it kind of um, hits home with the the similarities but the uh, the differences with those two characters. Mm-hmm. And I know this has popped up um, pretty briefly in some past episodes, but we get a shot of the Shinigami realm. Um, I think one of the Shinigami comments on like what has Ryuk been up to in the human world. Um, and then I think that he plans to go and get a closer look at what's going on. But they kind of leave this hanging and I don't know if this will get addressed later on like yeah like what happened with that Shinigami like did he go look did he mm-hmm. go to earth like what the fuck's up with him yeah I know like we we see later on that another Shinigami has accompanied Misa um so I think like the realm is aware of some shit going down on earth but for now we're just getting these small glimpses at the monotony of this demonic world at the end of the episode, when Light loses his cool, that was really, really interesting um, because I think it shows how how good L is at toying with him and pushing him farther into a corner because, as L mentioned before, they both hate to lose, and he's the only one that can match Light at this point. And, you know, Light's just, he's had his way with everything. I mean, everything has gone according to plan for the most part for Light, and now you add L into the mix, I mean, like, directly into the mix, and Light realizes who he's really up against. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a chess match, and um, Light's been in check by L. It also just shows that, like, Light's kind of a brat. Mm. Which, I mean, we've seen glimpses of that glimpses of that already, but for him to freak out like that because there's finally a challenge presented to him because i know like you could you could consider naomi to be a challenge right like that was a a a major thing he had to overcome before Mm -hmm. she you know blew the lid on his operation but here l is not someone that he could easily dispose of and he knows it and now he's frustrated yeah but it'll be interesting to see like how much each of them uses the other to their their own advantage um and just to see what the ultimate outcome is if either of them are going to see a bad demise. In episode 10, Doubt, Death Note turns into a sports anime for this episode as Hitman and Hikikomori play a friendly game of tennis. As Elok Holmes tries to recruit Light in the Kira Queen investigation due to his superior sleuthing skills, they receive news that Chief Yagami is in the hospital after suffering a heart attack. Light promises his father that he will see to it that Kira Queen bites the dust. Afterwards, Light asks Ryuzaki if being locked in a prison cell without a TV for one month will prove that he's innocent, which satiates Elog Holmes' suspicions for the time being. Lastly, a local TV station receives tapes from an anonymous source claiming to be Kira Queen and asks if they want to play a game at the expense of their board of directors' lives. Great episode. I loved this episode so much because we we get to see Elle and Light uh, interact for the first time. And I'm obsessed. Like, I'm obsessed with the two of them and their dynamic. And the tennis match was a smart writing choice to lay out how Elle and Light think differently, but the same at the same time. Because their goals and motives and morals are completely opposite. Um, or while, while they're the opposite anyway, they're basically thinking the exact same way and are 
almost in perfect sync as we see in the tennis match itself. Like even their inner monologues that are happening during this tennis match are just as in sync as the two of them playing the actual game. It was, I don't know, I just think that that's such an unusual way to show us as the audience exactly what type of relationship they're going to have now that they know the other exists. It reminded me of Dio and Jonathan's sort of forced friendship in part one of JoJo. Again, you have two people who are at similar intellects um, trying to anticipate how the other's going to react, but they're pretty much, like you said, they, they're pretty much thinking the same thing. Although I think L is still in his like Hikikomori outfit. Yeah, he's, he's, still whatever, he's still wearing whatever the fuck it's he like, wants. Why? At least give him raggy ass tennis clothes, <laughs> not just have him play in his same in his same drawers and such. I do want to um, go back to what I was mentioning in the previous episode about the parallels between the two of them. So during this tennis match, we get their inner monologues, and um, or actually not even I think that and like some other conversation afterwards. But either way, um, we get their inner monologues throughout this episode, and the colors change to this like grayscale with lights hair colored in red and Elle's hair colored in blue and I think maybe their eyes as well and this made me realize that their character designs are super intentional Elle looks like a fucking demon to be honest and he's weird as fuck but he's pursuing the good hence his hair is blue Mm. and then White looks like this perfect kid as if he's an angel but his methods are evil even if his goal is like somewhat intentionally good and his hair is colored in red so this plays into the entire premise of the show that appearances are only surface deep and there's way more to a person if you keep investigating. Wow. And that's a... my uh, <laughs> my thesis on Death Note. <laughs> but I love it. Like, again, I, I think the writing is so great. The choices here are so smart. Um, and why not continue to have those parallels between Light and, and L where they look the exact opposite of what their actual goal is at the end of the day like why doesn't light look like the demon that he is and why doesn't l look like the angel <laughs> that he is that's weird to say but you get what i mean and i think um later on it's funny because uh when someone comments that like shinigami are involved in the case i think when they find out about the second kira like l like freaks out because he hates like shinigami or like supernatural things yeah, I have no fucking idea why he flipped his shit like that. I was like, what is he doing? <laughs> he is a coward. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, what's wrong with you? <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, I see another parallel here with, with Batman and the Dark Knight because I think in this case, like Bat- Light is, or L is kind of like Batman where you expect Batman to be a scary creature because he, he has this bad thing, but he's the, like, he's the hero. And then you have the Joker, who is supposed to be this happy, like clown kind of guy. But, but are cl- okay, are clowns <laughs> happy and like you know positive I mean, yeah, things? <laughs> now people are like terrified of clowns because of like John Wayne Gacy and all that stuff. But you know, like you're supposed like you typically associate clowns with with being like happy people. Yeah, but obviously, like Joker, uh, L is like Joker in that sense, where he's actually fucked up in the head. Yeah. Yeah, and well, okay, more fucked up than than Ella's light because you'd think that Light's dad having a heart attack would give him a taste of his own medicine and he may have like some reflection on that, um, you know, what he's been doing to others, but he immediately tells Ryuk that he doesn't feel cursed and that this is the happiest he's ever been. So I'm like, even your dad 
almost dying of a heart attack is not enough to make you think like, oh shit, what I'm doing is kind of fucked up. That's what I'm saying. This is the mind of a serial killer. I'm sure like, there should be a like those serial killer documentaries. There should just be one about um, light, like a, a mockumentary. I would love to <laughs> to watch that. In episode 11, Assault, Watari Pennyworth interrupts the task force task force's discussion about Naomi's disappearance with Sakura TV's broadcast of the allegedly Kira Queen's audio tapes. Alok Holmes sends one of the detectives to the station to stop the broadcast in order to prevent public support for the vigilante, but he mysteriously dies at its front door, meaning Kira Queen no longer needs the person's name to kill them. In light of this, no pun intended, Light decides to join the task force to keep tabs on Alok Holmes and hunt down the phony, which L also deduces. It is then revealed that a young girl named Misa is the culprit behind, behind the broadcast with her Shinigami Realm's assistance, and that she acquired the Shinigami Eyes power-up to carry out her misdeeds out of her twisted love for Kira Queen. Even without Light appearing much in this episode, it's still a very intense episode. And I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, dude, Light's dad is probably going to be fine. Like, he's, he's risking his life to go to this TV station, but he'll probably be, you know, fine because... His son probably maybe won't kill him. And then we find out that it's actually a second Kira. And I was like, oh, shit, he actually was risking his life the whole time. Yeah, there was, um, I mean, there was something off about the way that Kira was, this Kira was presenting itself. And there were hints of it as well. I think the first, if I remember, the first shot of this was like light looking out a window. And then you have these things happening. Um I think Kira mentions this Kira mentions like it intends to create a new world free from evil that will protect the innocent, but then asks the people not to share their views publicly for fear of being killed by Kira. So that was like the first sign that something was off about this message because this Kira is kind of forcing people to think their way instead of living as free individuals. Um, And then you have all the stuff where this Kira was killing, um, people on tv like showing the tv hosts just dying of a heart attack the ones that were anti-kira oh there was something eerie about that because even in an anime it's it's weird seeing someone die on live tv yeah you can like imagine how that would feel in real life and that would be just off that'd be just like terrible Mm -hmm. i was excited about misa amane's introduction because um as i mentioned ryuk is one of my sister's favorite characters and misa is my other sister's favorite character and no she's pretty she's she's pretty chill fam i mean she's also crazy but you know (laughs) she's chill (laughs) yeah we'll see how much she influences the show from this point onward seems like a law based on episode 13 in episode 12 love L. Locke Holmes puts Light's analytical skills to the test by having him listen to recordings of the Kira Queen con artist and concludes that the real Kira Queen is not Kira Queen. The task force then releases a counter-broadcast to grab the Kira Queen con artist's attention. They respond and unknowingly reveal spoilers about the Death Note and the Shinigami, but also ask that the real Kira Queen meet meet them in person. Speaking of the decoy devil, Misa Sohorny learns through a fucked up love story told by Rem that in order to kill a Shinigami, they must fall in love with a human, which is exactly what happened to Jealous, who sacrificed himself to save Misa Sohorny from a deranged stalker. Therefore, whoever coined the phrase love never dies is probably an idiot. Dude, that's fucked up that she's basically going to live forever because... uh... Yeah, how many lifespans did he have? 
I know, right? And like by living forever, I think she's still going to age at a normal rate, probably. <laughs> so she's going to just be alive, but be like. She'll be like that thing from spongebob <laughs> from the chocolate <laughs> episode <laughs> what are they selling <laughs> chocolates yeah basically that's gonna be that's gonna be misa she's not gonna be able to move her body she, like all of her bodily functions are gonna start to decay and shut down but she's still gonna have to keep living mm -hmm. but the the fact that uh rem brought up this story about how to kill a shinigami do you think this will be like a foreshadowing of what's to come because it seemed a little too obvious like, do we think Ryuk will self-sacrifice well, to save light or some shit? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, maybe, I don't know, maybe Ryuk will, I don't know, redemption by death, although he doesn't really need to redeem himself. Because yeah. here's a Dark Knight Rises reference. Because oh, <laughs> this is like when um, Alfred tells Bruce how he envisioned him having a life uh, outside of Gotham, and then... I'm not going to spoil anything, but that comes into play later on. Mm -hmm. It's like for for Rem to tell the story, just there's something where it seems like it's telling us that we'll this will come across this again in the future. Yeah, I can see that. And I also wonder too through this episode, Misa seems smart, right? But not nearly as smart as Light, considering she revealed some key information in her response video. Um, but like, there's something to her, right? As we learn in the next episode. But there's something to her, and, and she is strong enough in her ideals and her obsession with Kira that she's willing to go above and beyond to not only meet Kira, but assist Kira in whatever it is he's doing in this world. So I just, I, I'm curious to learn more about Misa. I know we have a, an interesting stopping point of episode 13, but I'm curious to learn more about her when we go beyond that episode to see like what is she really capable of and how mm -hmm. long will like keep her around it's like i'm sure everyone here is sick of me she's the harley quinn <laughs> to lights joker there you go <laughs> but i think it like she has different motivations um rather than like from what light has i think she is more just idolizing kira as a symbol whereas like light is embodying kira as as this righteous person you know what i mean it's like blind followers yeah basically she's a blind follower of kira um and will that continue through the show will she open her eyes to what's going on i'm just I, i'm very intrigued by misa and i want to see mostly how useful she's going to be to light like will she stick around for a while or is he gonna off her at some point because i don't know based on and i'm skipping a little bit ahead here based on episode 13 there's some potential there mm-hmm and this is the episode where Light, or sorry, where L has that like fucking freak out when he hears about the Shinigami eyes and stuff. Yeah. And that's when I was like, what is happening? This is very out of character for him. Um, and I, I'm very intrigued by that because it, it, does he freak out because he knows something? Does he freak out because of like stories he heard in the past? Does he freak out just because he's a fucking weirdo? Like, I, I want to know what caused him to have that kind of reaction. Is it because he is a Shinigami? He's a Shinigami? Re like <laughs> Reincarnated or something. <laughs> also, one more note from this episode. I think Rem or somebody describes Misa as an angel. Oh, no, it's it's when she's doing her, um, her photo shoot in the beginning of the episode. Someone mm. says like, oh, you're like an angel. And it's just like light. People see him as this great kid, this good kid, this angel. They see Misa the same way. 
But at the end of the day, can you really call her that when she's aligned herself with Kira? And you see this chick's fucking room. She got like the creepy ass <laughs> voodoo items. She's goth, man. Yeah. And then <laughs> here's another like religious undertone. I noticed she has like a picture of the Virgin Mary. Um, I don't know. If, I don't remember if it was like a like a warped picture, but I don't know. That That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> And in episode 13, Confession, Detective Matsuda and Light plan a trip to Aoyama based on a journal entry from the Kira Queen con artist, though the latter intends to find out who the phony is on his own by disguising himself in a group of friends. It don't matter though because Misa Sohorni pinpoints him out with her Shinigami eyes power-up since Light is the only person whose lifespan isn't dangling above his big brain. She boasts about her discovery and the task force scrambles to negotiate with the Kira Queen con artist by offering a milder punishment. Their proposal falls on deaf ears as Misa Sohorni tracks down Light's address and confesses her tainted love for him. As they embrace, however, this little light of mine's got a scheme that he'll likely let shine. So yeah, as I mentioned previously, Light meets Misa and realizes that she is smarter than he initially assumed. And... You can tell from this episode, he, he finds her useful, right? She's got the Shinigami eyes, something that he wants, but he doesn't want to sacrifice his lifespan for. So there's a purpose for her here. But again, I just want to know how long can she be useful to him and what does he decide to do when she is, if and when she is no longer useful. Yeah. I wrote here, if Light considers himself a god, then is Misa's love for him considered idol worship? But probably, yeah. Again, I think Misa is just there for like for love, but like just for fun and games. Whereas Light is on a mission and he just needs to get rid of this minor nuisance. But I, to your point, I think he might be using her as a tool in his plans just based on that embrace at the end where he had like the sinister eyes. Oh, hell yeah. He doesn't care about anybody. <laughs> like he says he's doing things for the good of the world, but then like he he doesn't care if he uses people manipulates people kills people and this is why i have such a hard time getting on board with team light um and i do find it very dangerous that misa is willing to give him everything he wants just because he unintentionally killed the criminal that killed her parents i get why that's so powerful for her and why that's a driving force behind her wanting to meet him and be you know at his beck and call but again will this come back to bite her in the ass later so that's already like two things that Light has had to face, like that are big challenges again, him having to befriend L, and now you have this third person in the picture. Is this is this the typical anime trio that we always see of Light, L, and Misa? Also, side note, at this point, um, just based on their initial meeting, Light can see Rem, but Misa cannot see Ryuki because she hasn't touched um, Light's death note. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, you cannot see the person's Shinigami until you touch their death note. So I'm wondering, will Light try his hardest to avoid having Misa see Ryuk, or will he find some use in her seeing Ryuk and therefore let him touch her his death note? This is weird saying that because it sounds like, you know, let him <laughs> touch. Let, let her touch his dick or some <laughs> shit, but yeah. Look I, at my Shinigami. <laughs> it's it's another question that I have. So I'm I'm very, very excited to continue the, the show past episode 13. Yeah, that makes me wonder again with him kind of using the Death Note rules to his advantage in the earlier episode. Is he going to use that loophole of of seeing a person's demon? Um, 
again to his advantage here but yeah i'm, I'm kind of excited to see what the next half of part one is going to be and with that that brings us to our final thoughts for death note part one part one <laughs> ongoing thoughts we'll call it ongoing On, thoughts. yeah okay our ongoing thoughts thoughts so far <laughs> but yeah what what did you like about this first half and what are you looking forward to um i just love the writing holy shit like great writing great character designs um everything is just spot on i mean not literally everything there are some of those pieces where i roll my eyes and say that would never fucking happen but everything as a whole is just coming together so well and we're only 13 episodes in i just thought it was such a strange number to have 37 episodes and now i'm like thank god there's 37 episodes because I don't know how I'd feel if this ended after 24, 25, 26. Mm -hmm. It's kind of nice to know that you get a little bit more than your typical anime season. But yeah, I am, I'm loving it so far and I can't wait to continue watching past the 13th episode. What about you? Yeah, I would say this was a very enthralling first half that just cuts straight into this sort of cat and mouse chase between these like two big brain leads and... There are plenty of heart-stopping moments, no pun intended, as you wonder how Light is going to like overcome a certain situation or dispose of a certain target, but he still definitely shines in those moments. Again, no pun intended. And like we've talked about the the similarities between the the two leads, but despite like similarities in like their reclusiveness, I think they both act as terrific foils to each other just because of how much they are like dying to one up the other um as i as we've talked about it'll be interesting to see how exactly misa will factor into this chase and whether or not she will help or hinder light's plans to protect the world from devastation and unite all peoples <laughs> within their nation <laughs> um one thing i do want to give credits to is to the composers for that stupid fucking theme that we we keep referring back to. Oh, from the chip scene? Yeah. So it's uh, Yoshihisa, Hirano, and Hideki Taniuchi. Um, the specific song I'm referring to is called Low of Solipsism. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, I don't even know. What, I looked up the definition, solipsism. I don't know if someone can correct, correct me. Rob, if you're out there, if you know that word, you can correct me. But it's the viewer theory that the self is all that can be known to exist. So I don't know if that is going to play in at all with with the show. But I think it's funny that the the theme sounds like the 4-4 string ostinato Indian minor from SpongeBob. I've been referring to SpongeBob and Dark Knight too much <laughs> in this episode. But I guess here it's every Japanese convict knows it means death. <laughs> but... Yeah, I guess overall, it'll be interesting to see if Light will kind of descend into madness, as with the quote, absolute power corrupts absolutely, because we get a hint of this after Light just starts killing characters that are close to figuring out his identity instead of like these criminals, which we saw a lot in the first couple episodes, because are, are, are these characters guilty of a crime or are they just guilty of standing in his way? Good question. We will find out soon, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And and just to share one more time, again, this is part one of a three-part review series on Death Note. We wrapped up with episode 13. Part two will be episodes 14 to 26. And part three will be episodes 27 to 37. So there'll be more speculation to come, uh, more, I'm sure, major plot twists and, and like mind-blowing things that'll happen. And we're excited to keep talking about it.
and that wraps up episode 44 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime that we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.